Well, good morning uh, to all of us as we gather together in two rooms at one time. If you're one of our guests during the second hour, um, we join together via video uh, for our teaching time. And so we're so grateful, guests, that you are here over there in the contemporary service as well. We're glad that you have joined us together. And happy Mother's Day to all the moms who are here today. And um, I thought it might be good to begin this morning by just simply remembering on this special day what moms have taught us through the years. And what's amazing is moms have a way of teaching things that are universal. These truths are universal to all of us. And so some of these things, um, most of them are really self-evident. You kind of you get it. But I did a little bit of research and found them listed out, and I thought this was really, really helpful to us, all right? So, um, for instance, my mom uh, taught me religion when she said, you better pray that that will come out of the carpet, right? So that was religion, all right? And, and, and then mom, uh, our moms teach us logic, how we, you know, how we think reasonably and rationally, it all fits together, and it just makes sense. For instance, when my mom continually tells me, when I ask her why that's the case, and she just simply says, because I said so, that's why, right? That's the logic. Um, she teaches me to think ahead. Oh, mom's always telling us to plan, think ahead, foresight, right? When she tells me to make sure you wear clean underwear in case you're in a car accident. Your mom's ever tell you that? Or how about irony, irony? Um, you know, it just doesn't make sense what mom says, but ultimately it does. For instance, when she says, keep crying and I'll give you something to cry about. Now, it doesn't make a lot of, whole, a lot of sense, but ultimately it does. And, and then mom, she's science. She, she's a scientist. She's amazing. My mother taught me about the science of osmosis. You know what osmosis is, right? For instance, when she says, shut your mouth and eat your supper. I'm not sure how that works out, but just shut your mouth, eat your supper. Okay, got it. All right, my mother taught me medical science. If you don't stop crossing your eyes, what's going to happen? They're going to get stuck that way, right? Um, I like this one. Mom taught me this as well uh, about what it means to be a contortionist. When she said, will you look at the dirt on the back of your neck? There's just no way you can possibly do that, right? And, and then uh, just two more. My mother taught me about my roots, where I came from. Moms are really, really good at that, at just kind of showing this is, this is, this is the heart of, of, of where our family came from. When she says, shut that door behind you, what do you think? Were you born in a barn or something like that? Right? Here's the last one. My mother taught me justice. One day you'll have kids, and I hope they turn out to be what? Just like you. All right. Hey, moms, happy Father's Day to you. We love you. We love your service. We love your sacrifice. It is your day, and I pray you enjoy your mom. And, and here's the other thing, too. Ladies, um, some of you are not moms, or you want to be moms, um, or something has happened in, in your life, and this day is not a day of great joy, and it's not a day of great celebration. It's heavy, and it's hard. And I would simply say this, both to the moms who walk in this morning and think, um, despite all the attention and the gifts and everything, um, that I really haven't done my job well. Or to the ladies who are joining us this morning and you're thinking, um, 
I wanted to be a mom. I could have children or something has happened in my life that prevents me from, from being a mother. Let me tell you this. Your significance is not determined by motherhood. Your significance is determined by the love, grace, sacrifice, and perfect righteousness in Jesus Christ. That is your significance. So walk through today, not identified by whether you've been a good or a bad mom, not identified with whether I can't have children or something has happened in my life and I'm not a mother. Walk today as a daughter of God. And the significance of following Jesus, if you're a follower of Jesus, is knowing him and identifying with him. For those of you who miss mom, your moms have passed away over the last few weeks, last month, um, last few months, maybe, maybe even further back than that. Today's kind of a day just kind of mixed with sadness and, and hurt. Um, I pray that today is a day where you sense the presence of your Heavenly Father in a special way. May the Lord go with you, and may you have a special, special day. The book of Ruth is where we are this morning. I love this book, and I pray that you're falling in love with this story of, of a mom, of a mom and two daughters-in-law. The mom is named Naomi. Uh, we're in Ruth chapter 1. If you have a copy of the scriptures, I invite you to turn there. If you don't know where Ruth is, if you're new to Bible study or maybe you're new here and just never really dug into um, where the scripture or where Ruth is in the scriptures, it's in the Old Testament, so it's close to the front of the book. Find the table of contents there. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, and then Ruth. So it's near the front there. It's a short little story, just four chapters. And here's where we are in our stories. We've gone through two weeks, and now we're going to finish up chapter one this morning. And this is um, the story of a woman named Naomi who goes with her husband from Bethlehem, which is in Israel, to Moab. It's a foreign nation to find food. There's a famine. She takes her two sons with them, and her husband dies. She becomes a widow there in this foreign land. Her two sons marry two Moabite women named Orpah, not Oprah, close, Orpah and Ruth. These women marry these two sons, but they don't have any children, and suddenly the husbands die. So after, ten year, after a minimum of 10 years, if not more, this family made up now of Naomi, who is husbandless and childless, no more sons, no grandchildren, and these two foreign pagan women named Orpah and Ruth begin to ask themselves, how are we going to live? How are we going to exist? Or, or, uh, Naomi finds out there's food back in Israel, and so they begin to make their way back to Bethlehem. But Orpah says, I'm going to go home. I'm going to go back. Because Naomi is urging them, saying, you need to return. You need to go back. And she does so. But Ruth says, nope, nope, I'm going to hang on to you, and I'm going to walk with you and be with you. And that's where we are now. Ruth is clinging to Naomi. So we come to Ruth chapter 1, verses 15, 16, 17, and 18. We're going to read that together. So will you please stand with me for the reading of the Word of God this morning? Out of respect and reverence for our text and out of the whole respect for the Holy Spirit who has given us our text. And here is what it says in Ruth chapter 1, beginning in verse 15. And she said, Naomi said, See, your sister-in-law 
has gone back to her people and to her gods, so return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. And your people shall be my people, and your God, my God. And where you die, I will die. And there will I be buried. And may the Lord do so to me. And more also, if anything but death separates me from you. And when Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she simply said, no more. And may the Lord bless the reading of his word this morning. You may be seated. And here's what we're going to see. We're going to see two ladies, and we are going to try and understand what are they seeing. And specifically, as they walk on this journey, they're attempting to follow God. Naomi heard God was at work over there in Bethlehem, so let's go home. Ruth has just said, your God is now going to be my God. Here's what we're going to look at this morning, how these two individuals see God. First of all, for Ruth, she sees God through the eyes of faith. Now, go back to verse 14. Naomi says this, your sister has gone back to follow her people and her God. So here is Orpah, here's what her thinking is. I'm going to go back to my people. I'm going to go back to what is familiar. I'm going to go back to a culture that is comfortable for me, that is secure for me. And in verses 9 earlier, a couple of weeks ago, we saw that really here's what Orpah is saying. When you go back to your people, you are going back to find a husband. For in that day, in that culture, a husband and then sons meant that you would be financially secure, that your future would be secure. And so for a woman in that culture, in that day, a husband and sons and a home meant that you were secure. This is where your life was bound up. And so Orpah says, I'm going to go back to my people. I'm going to go back to my God. I'm no longer going to serve the gods, uh, or I'm going to serve the gods of Moab that were there. They are going to protect. They are going to provide for me. My trust is now going back to what is familiar. Ruth, on the other hand, what we just read, said, no, I I see things differently. I I see God differently than Naomi does, and I see God differently than Orpah does. That passage there, perhaps you've heard it recited at at, at, um, at weddings. It's a beautiful... uh, beautiful poem of of commitment from one person to another individual that simply says, I am going to be stuck to you like glue. And this is what Ruth is saying. Naomi, um, look at, I will go where you go. This is the first words that we hear Ruth say in the text. And her words are this, I'm going to go where you go. Hey, um, Naomi, here's the deal. I'm not going to be like my, sister, like my sister-in-law, and I'm, I am going to instead embrace the insecurity of an unknown place. I'm going to embrace this idea where I don't have to have my roots planted in a certain place, in a certain city, in a certain circumstance. Wherever you're going to land, I'm wrapping myself around you. I'm going to embrace that. 
I see things a little bit differently than my sister-in-law. I'll lodge where you lodge. That word lodge there that gives the implication of I'm going to settle down in a home. And for Naomi, here is all that she could offer Ruth. That she's going to go back to Bethlehem and be a charity case. She's a widow, and the law provides for widows to be cared for. And so Naomi is basically saying, you need to go back and lodge or find a home where your husband and your sons and your family can care for you. That is to be your lodging. That's what your sister-in-law is going to do. And Ruth says, no, I I see things differently. I am going to go and lodge wherever you lodge. So if you're going to be an aging widow that gets sick, I'm going to lodge with you. I'm going to care for you. What about a husband? Ruth says, I'm not so much concerned about that. I'm going to give that up. I'm going to abandon all of the things that were our expectations put upon me because I am so committed to you. Your people are my people. I'll abandon my background. I'll abandon my ethnic group. All of the traditions and all of the things that make life rich for me there in Moab, I give it up. And now Israel is my home. I'll turn my back on Moab. I'll turn my back on my parents. Not out of disrespect, but out of respect for you and for, by implication, the God of your people. The God who I've heard about, you speak about, the God that I have, I have heard through the years about this God who settled his people there. The God of Israel now is going to become my God. So there's this transfer of loyalty in her worship and in her religion where now she's saying, Not only will I go with you and care for you, which is a very loving thing and caring thing to do, but now this is spiritual. Now this is something internal in which my heart is no longer beholden to the gods of the past, the religion, the traditions of the past, but now my heart is free to pursue this other God. And now I worship him and I submit to him in a way that I didn't before. So your God, Naomi, is my God. I'll die where you die. I thought this was interesting what, what, what one writer said, and I never thought of it this way. He said, when she makes that statement, I'll die where you die. And remember her vow there at the end of that paragraph we read. She says, the only thing that's going to separate me, God, from this vow I'm making to you is death. And so she says, uh, Naomi, wherever you'll be buried, so when you're buried in the, in the family plot, I'm going to be buried there. I, I, I'm not going to care for you and then suddenly... You uh, die, and I'm free, and I can pursue my own husband and be buried with my own husband. This is permanent. This is serious. This is following you and following your God to a place where I've never been before, but to a place where I simply trust is for me to be. Now, can you say that? Can you say this is how you see God? If you're a follower of Jesus this morning, our God is a great God. And if you're not a follower of Jesus this morning, let me share with you about who this God is. Why, Why can we see God with the eyes of a Ruth that says, you know what? It doesn't matter the place. It doesn't matter the the people. It doesn't matter the future. 
all that matters is that I'm, I'm pursuing this God. Now, Ruth, we don't know. We don't know. We don't know if God spoke to her through a vision. We don't know if God revealed himself to her in a special way. We don't know if, if through the teaching of, of the Jewish people that perhaps was sprinkled into her life while she was there in Moab, if Jewish people were there. We don't know. But here's what we do know, that God has revealed himself to us, and God is calling some of us to see him not through the eyes of our circumstances, but through the eyes of faith. And the God of our scriptures is this God. He is the God who sees all things and knows all things. It has power to do all things. That's who our God is. The God of the scriptures is the God who is so intimate that knows every hair on your head. He knows every thought. He is so intimately knowing of who you are. He knows the mood swings. He knows the emotions. He knows the hurts. He knows the ups. He knows the downs. He knows what you're going to say, Jesus says, before you even speak it. That's how much he knows you, right, intimately. But here's the thing. He is so big and great and grand and glorious that the scriptures teach us that he controls time and history. He shapes it and he moves it. He tears down and builds up kings and kingdoms, and he's moving history towards an end where his glory will fill all the earth. That's where he's going, this God. And to do that, he had to rescue you and me because we're sinners. I'm a sinner. I'm separated from God by my sin. And so God knows that about my own heart. And so he's not this God who's moving history and times and kings and kingdoms for his glory all for himself alone, but for the sake of rescuing sinners like me. And so this God sends his son Jesus to die for me, to rescue my soul. And then for his spirit, his presence to rest in me, and to fill me so that the glory of Christ wells up inside of me and in my home and in my wife and in my church, and in this world. And this is the God who says, trust me. So why don't we do it? <laughs> you, you, you have powers, and you have control, and you have the ability to determine and to navigate your own life as you see fit. It, it, are those the two choices? And Ruth says, I'm, I'm in. I'm going to abandon my life to this God. And I'll, I'll, I'll give my future up for this God, for you, Naomi. It's like in Salt Lake City this past week where I was on mission, and thank you for praying. Many of you said, hey, Pastor, we're praying for you. How'd it go this past week? And it was phenomenal. Every time I go to Salt Lake City, I, I learned something new. Salt Lake City, Utah, where... Obviously, the Mormon population there is enormous, and obviously, the, um, the, the gospel, the, the churches that have the gospel are so, so few compared to what we have here. I mean, just you, you'll go out your driveway, you'll go out your subdivision, you'll drive three or four or five miles, and you'll hit more churches than there are in some counties there in Utah. For instance, I think it was Tuesday, we were standing on top of this hill, and uh, this is an amazing place where Adobe, the new Adobe headquarters have moved in. There's this tech boom, and they've moved in. So people are coming in from other states, but the place where they're moving in is just outside Salt Lake City in another county where BYU, BYU is just down the road, Brigham Young University. And we're standing on top of this hill where all this new construction's coming in, and 
all of these corporations and the church planner who was there, who was leading us, leading us and guiding us, would look over on this one way and he'd go, there are X amount of, X thousand people, whatever it was over here, and there's not one, not one gospel-centered church. He says, look over here. Do you see that community over there? Look at the rooftops. There are X many thousands of people, whatever it is over here, and there's not one church. There's not one gospel. Hey, do you look over here? I mean, it just goes on and on. And I think it was either one of the church planners or Travis Kearns, a missionary there who grew up here at Taylor's and is now out there who simply said this and made a statement as a punch in the gut when he said, you are now standing in the least evangelized city in the United States of America. Not by population, but by percentage. There's counties that have more people. But when you look at no churches, no churches in many of these areas, and the thousands of people. You come home and you just say, Lord, Lord, what, wh why don't I see with different eyes? And then one night, I think it was Monday night, we were having dinner with these church planners. And uh, four or five of them got to speak. And Travis asked the wives a question. And knowing it would be in the book of Ruth, knowing that... Um, our preaching time has been centered around the lives of these ladies and the mission that, that they uh, are pursuing. Travis asked him, and he said, okay, what has been the biggest challenge to you ladies? And almost every one of them said it's lonely. It's lonely. We, we've left, and, and they, were, they weren't seeking, they weren't seeking this pity. They, they, they weren't, it was just a chance for them just to communicate what was in their hearts. And they welled up with tears, and they would say, this is hard. It's lonely. We've left moms and dads. We've left grandmas and grandpas. We, we've left the familiarity of our people and our culture, and we've entered into this culture. And I thought, that is what it means for those ladies to see with the eyes of faith to see something about their God and his heart where they say, I'd see that versus everything else around me. Now, hang on. Here's what I don't want you to think. Pastor, you mean we have to, be, in order to be, to see with the eyes of faith, we have to go to Salt Lake City? I didn't say that. You mean we have to go to, go to an unreached people group? I didn't say that. Here's what I'm saying. Every single one of you as a follower of Jesus is going to be put in a position at a crossroads or in a hard place where God is going to say, you can see what's around you and you can freeze or go back. Or you can say, I see something different. I see the heart of God. I see the character of God. I see the power of God. And I choose that, and I'll go. Because we're all there. We're all there as followers of Jesus. Now, here's the second way, real quickly. Here's the second way we see God. We see it in Naomi. Read with me um, in verse 19. So the two of them went on until they came to Bethlehem. This is where she's from. And when they came to Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women said, is this Naomi? Can you imagine you imagine social media? <laughs> can, can you imagine Facebook and Instagram and Snap Face and Instachat, whatever it is out there? Can you imagine all that? I mean, that, this thing's blowing up. 
She's here. Pictures of her, selfies of her. Hey, look at this. And Naomi says, hold it. Hold it. Do not read. Read the text. Do not call me Naomi, which means pleasant, but call me Mara, which means bitter. For the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full, and the Lord has brought me back empty. Empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? So she comes in, and they don't recognize her, or they look at her and say, what has happened? Is it really you? And she says, before you go any further, and I explain, I'm bitter because I'm empty. I'm empty. All my expectations, all the expectations of a woman of my age, to to have a husband that cares for her, to have sons and to have grandchildren, to be secure in a home, all those expectations are gone. They've been completely shattered. I was full when I left, not in her stomach because they were looking for food, but her life was full. Notice that. Her life was full. I had a husband. That's what I'm supposed to do. I have uh, sons, that's what I'm supposed to do. I'm praying they're going to get married, but I know it's going to happen one day. I'm full. I leave full with expectations as I see them, but now I come back completely empty. And all those expectations are shattered and gone, and my life looks nothing like I thought it would look like. Anyone there? And she just, she just raises her hand. The Lord says, you did this. What Naomi is doing is seeing God through the eyes, not of faith, but of failure. She's seeing God through the eyes of a failure of her, of her life. Maybe she, she feels she's misstepped. Maybe, maybe there is sin. We don't know. It doesn't indicate in the text that she did something wrong. God has, she says, God, you have dealt bitterly with me. That last phrase there where it says the Lord has testified against me, it's like God puts her on trial in a courtroom. She's on the stand. She's questioned. And here's how she feels. She's questioned by God. She doesn't measure up. She's failed. And therefore, God has made her suffer. And that's how some of you feel this morning. That's how some of you ladies feel this morning. That somehow God has either abandoned you or somehow God has caused you to suffer unjustly. And listen, I I don't know why God causes difficulties and hardships in your life. But here's what we have to understand. That the sovereign God of the universe allows sins, difficult stretches in our lives, and we in our eyes see that as very foreign. Um, We don't welcome that in our lives. It hurts. We're misunderstood. We are challenged. We, We are turned upside down. But God sends those things, and he walks with us. Remember that. He walks with you, not so that you think, He's an unjust God, but he sends those things because he loves you and wants you to be like his son who suffered just as much. When you suffer and when you, you go through difficulty, here's what I want you to remember. We think, where's God? Naomi took it to another level. 
He's against me. At least she recognizes God's in control. She just misinterprets what God is doing. Sometimes, here's where we are. When difficulty happens in our life, things don't turn out. Your expectations are shattered. You know, you ladies, um, there's the Cinderella syndrome. I was talking with Sheree yesterday, just walking through the mindset and the heart set of ladies as they, as they go through life. And, and she used this term, I loved it, the Cinderella syndrome. I've never heard that before. Someday my what? My prince will come. <laughs> you, bait, you, you look for a prince and he's a frog and his heart, right? And it's just not good. Your home's not like you thought. So what do you do? You shift the Cinderella syndrome to your home, and you go, my children, they'll, they'll, they'll satisfy me. And so here, here's what we do. We put all our energy, and we put all our heart and soul in, the, you know, the expectation of marriage. Okay, let's set it to the side. It didn't turn out like we thought. All right, the home, our children will turn out like we wanted to be. Absolutely. But we know that's not the case. We know our children are sinners. We, we, we know they shouldn't bear the brunt of our expectations upon them. You, you shift towards, you say, okay, you know what, maybe the workplace. Maybe, maybe there's something beyond the home. Maybe there's a hobby. Maybe there's something beyond that will satisfy the expectation. And, and then you go, okay, when, when the kids leave, they get in college, make sure they get in a good college. That's the expectation. They have to go to a good college, right? But once they're done and once they're out, I expect them to give me grandchildren and the joy and I'll enter a new season Woo! flexibility mobility I'll have my it, it never worked life never works out like we want it to work out and what is God doing when he allows those things to happen what is God doing when he sends difficulty and trials and hardships according to James chapter 1 what he's saying is I want you to see life in your circumstances and day to day not through the eyes of failure I have failed or God has failed that's where we live but through the eyes of this is Ruth. This is, you know, she could have easily said, this is a joke. This is a, my future is a joke. I'm gone. Forget it. But she says, I see something different. What, what do you see in your life? Where, where are you living right now? Shereen, I had um, this acquaintance in Raleigh. My wife really knew her through the Bible study networks that were there in Raleigh. Her name was uh, Vanitha. She's remarried. Her name is now Vanitha Reisner. She's a writer, beautiful writer. And she, as a young girl, here's her story. As a young girl, contracted polio, so she was in and out of hospitals, which she says caused her to be incredibly insecure. And she was in church her whole life, but it wasn't until she was 16. At the age of 16, she gave her heart to Jesus. She became a fully a devoted follower of Christ for the very first time. And so after that, the expectations started rolling out. Husband, grad school, two daughters, living in a beautiful town, Raleigh, North Carolina, all of that. And then it just all came crashing down. Three miscarriages. A son who was several weeks old by the name of Paul, who they watched because of a doctor's misdiagnosis, they watched him die. Husband leaves her, and here she is, here's her life, and she's wondering, is this Jesus really worth following? Is this life really, this spiritual journey, this spiritual walk, really worth it? Because why? She's seen through the eyes of a failed marriage, miscarriages, suffering, all of that. And listen to what she wrote. I read this a couple of weeks ago, and I filed it away. 
And I love her heart in this because she speaks from someone who has much more experience when it comes to disappointment and suffering than I've ever had. So I just look to her and her heart and listen to what she says. As I search the Bible for answers, God revealed a simple but transforming truth. And it's this, that this life is not about me. It's about him. And my supreme delight and happiness is not to rest in anything in this world. My delight is to be in God. The best gift he can give me is not my health or prosperity or happiness, but himself. A blessing that can never be taken away, a blessing that grows richer with time, and a blessing that lasts throughout all eternity. Now, this blessing is often found in suffering. When my treasures disintegrate before me, when I live with pain and unfulfilled longings, when my dreams are shattered beyond repair, I begin to long for something more lasting. And it is there that I find him. I find Jesus and realize that he is more valuable, more precious, more fulfilling than anything he can give me. He alone is the ultimate treasure. He is worth knowing and suffering for and living for and dying for. Now, it sounds really way up here theologically. But here's the reality. Jesus is the only thing that can satisfy your expectations. Moms, Jesus is the only thing that will satisfy you and your desire to have a home. Dads, Jesus is the only thing that will satisfy the longings of our heart to be significant, to be successful. Because one day we're going to go away full and come back empty. And the question is, do we want God simply for knowing him and Jesus simply for knowing him, or do we want the things that God and Jesus give us? This is what it means to look through the eyes of failure. Naomi, last point. We're just going to touch on this and, and be done. Look at verse 22. So they return, and Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law with her, who returned from the country of Moab, two times mentioned this gal's a foreigner, She's not supposed to be here. She's different. And they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of barley harvest. Here's the final thought this morning, and that is seeing God through the eyes of the gospel. I love this picture. I got so excited when I saw this. Here is Ruth, a foreigner, leaving a comfortable place, a rightful home and future and husband back in Moab if she goes back or if she stays. If she stays close to her father, her father will find a way for her to have the longings of her heart fulfilled. But this foreigner goes into a pagan land, totally different, don't know these people, they don't like her, could, could, could suffer discrimination. There's a very real chance of that. And she comes back and she risks her reputation because she didn't, the, people, the, the women of Moab didn't have a good reputation to begin with. She risks all of that and she plops down and says, you know what, I'm coming to this place to serve you, Naomi, and to rescue you. I, I'll give everything up for you. And she comes in this rich through the little town of where? Bethlehem. Jesus is the one who could have clung to his father, but Philippians 2, he came to earth to a place so foreign to the Son of God to simply give his life for you. 
And he entered through this little town of Bethlehem to save your heart, to save mine. Isn't that beautiful? So take heart in the gospel this morning. God is always at work. Three application points. I'm just going to list them. You can write them down and we're done. Number one, application point number one, assess your circumstances in light of God's power, not your weakness. See, if you want to help yourself this week, this was helpful to me this week. You want to help yourself, look at where you are and don't assess your circumstances, whatever it might be, in light of your weakness. Do it in light of God's power. Number two, align your expectations in your life, not based on your own heart. Don't chase the expectations of your own heart or of your families or of your work or of the neighborhood or of the subdivision. Whatever, whatever your expectation of your life is, don't center it, don't align it on a line that has you going away from the wisdom and the heart and the ways of God. You're setting yourself up to be empty if you go down that road. Simply come back pay the price and say, this is God's expectation for me. It looks different. I'm still going to stay on this road. Align yourself there. And then finally, abandon the familiar for the way of faith. Just abandon. There are times when if Jesus calls you to simply abandon it, just the way of the comfortable, the way of the familiar, the way of the certain, for the way of obedience to Jesus. May the Lord use his word this morning in all of our hearts. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for thank you for Ruth. And just for her incredible sense of seeing with the eyes of faith. And Lord, may you give us those eyes. Lord, would you give us give us the grace and the forgiveness? And the patience, will you be patient with us when we see through the eyes of expectations and failure? And would you help us to see that the gospel, the power of the gospel, that you didn't leave us in Moab, you didn't leave us alone, you sent Christ. And Father, I pray that if there is one individual in one of these two rooms or listening online who has never pursued Jesus and his work and his death and resurrection on their behalf, today's the day. So, Lord, hear our prayer this morning, and we pray it in Jesus' name.